Well, uh, good, good morning. Um, great to be here. Um, my name's John. I've been in the church for about six or seven years now. Um, I've done a few sermons over there. I've never done over here, so it's great to be in here. Come on in, Nigel. Um, and um, what I'm going to do is start um, with the reading, actually. So um, the reading today, there are some Bibles scattered around if you want to grab one. Um, but the reading today is from Ephesians 1, uh, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and, and to, the, to the wider area. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We thank God for his word. Uh, so I'm going to talk uh, today on Christ the King, and I'm going to uh, give you advance notice of the question I'm going to ask you at the end, which is, mm. is, <laughs> is Jesus Christ the king of your life? So I, I'm going to ask you that and challenge you on that at the end. Um, but uh, as, as you would have heard in the, uh, the, the start that Joe gave this morning to the service, today is the start of um, uh, well, it is, it is called Christ the King service. So it is Christ the King's Sunday today. And actually, it is the start of the liturgical year. It's the start of the church calendar. Um, in 1925, uh, so relatively recently in my understanding, but in 1925, the then, the, the then Pope, in the fallout of the Great War, and with discord among many nations still going on, and a response to what he considered to be growing secularism and atheism, and what he describes as attempts to thrust Jesus out of public life, he decided to create Christ the King Sunday, and other denominations followed, and here we are today, on the last Sunday of the year. There's an annual cycle, um, so what we're going to do today is reflect on the yeah. annual cycle and effectively reset and as you go through the key events of the church calendar in the year ahead. But of course, those key events are throughout the Bible as well. From the very start to the very end of Scripture, you can see many key events. And I'm going to reflect on the kingship of Jesus Christ, on whom all authority and power there is. 
but also I'm going to recognize that throughout that kingship, there is also a darkness. For those that heard Sarah speak last week in the last of the series on journeying, she spoke fantastically about darkness to light of the journey of Saul becoming Paul as he was converted on the road to Damascus. And that very Paul, whose words I've just read out from his uh, letter to the church at, at Ephesus. And the point that Sarah made is that despite the darkness, anyone can be saved from that darkness by Christ their King. So next week, we enter the new year. We will actually have darkness to light services for those that have never been to the cathedral uh, for one of the evening services at the start of advent i really commend it it's a beautiful way to reflect on the darkness of the world and the anticipation of the coming of the light of jesus christ through the advent season and of course it leads to <coughs> jesus uh, kingship now a bit of a spoiler alert at the end of Advent, he arrives. So what I'm going to do now is read out a few things and just try and listen as I read out. I'm going to quote a few bits of scripture here. And I think what I'm going to try and do is pick out on some of the key events of the church calendar through the year. But listen for the theme of Jesus' kingship. But um, there might be something else in there as well. So starting with Matthew 2, verse 2, the end of the season of Advent that we're about to enter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That was Matthew 2 too. And you've got King Herod, the earthly king. You've got Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. That is a word of adoration and respect and love for him and anticipation of what he will bring. Let us then consider after his works on earth in physical form, he then had the triumphal entry as had been anticipated. So I go to Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go ahead to the village ahead of you. And we know that they untie a donkey. And we know that he then gets onto that to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And quoting from Zechariah, here we are in Matthew 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And later on there, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless, uh, Hosanna in the highest. So there's the king. But of course, that's not the only side of the story. We then can turn to Luke and you can read of the crucifixion in Luke 23. <coughs> Let us start at verse 35 here. It says here, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, 
They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. The word king of the Jews has been turned to a word of humiliation rather than a word of splendour and anticipation. But if I return to Matthew now, Matthew 20, sorry, yes, Matthew 25, um, Jesus, when he is speaking in parables, he talks to his disciples about what will happen in heaven. And he anticipates and he says, from verse 31, when the Son of Man, that is Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And it goes on. It says in verse 34, then the king, that is Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So your inheritance, and again, you'll, you'll, you'll note that we've already used that word. We've read that word in Ephesians. So here we are. And I think this is my first point that I'd like to make today, really, which is that throughout the church calendar, throughout the annual cycle that we go through, and throughout Scripture, there's this very strong message and theme of Christ the King, Christ's kingship. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is there at the creation of the world, and he is sitting on his throne as the king with all things beneath his feet. But also, I think you probably would have noticed something else through that as well, which is that there is this strand of darkness throughout as well. There's humiliation of him. There's the sin of the world. There's the troubles of the world. So his kingship is in the context of this darkness. Now, I think it's beautifully summarised in this uh, quote here. I'll read it up. I'm conscious some people may not be able to see from where they are. And it says here, on the last Sunday of the liturgical year, Christ is presented to us as the mocked king on a cross, as well as the king of the universe. The greatest humiliation and the greatest victory are both shown to us in today's liturgy. It is important to look at this humiliated and victorious Christ before we start the new liturgical year with the celebration of Advent. All through the year, we have to stay close to the humiliation as well as the victory of Christ, because we are called to live both out in our daily, in our daily lives. So that is my first point, really, of this kingship held in tension with darkness. So let us now think about earthly kings and queens. Um, I loved the ceremony of the coronation of King Charles. Um, I felt personally that it was very God-centered. I loved the, um, the all of the all of the the pomp and ceremony, but also some of the deep, meaningful messages that were explained so well by the uh, narrators um, on the BBC as we were watching it. And I pray for our King's faith and for his wisdom. Uh, I'm not going to ask any embarrassing questions, but there may be somebody in here or two people in here, who knows, who may have been around at Elizabeth's coronation. Um, 
But I don't ask for volunteers or for hands up for who any of those are. I'm desperately looking down, not up at anybody. <laughs> um, I, loved, I loved something that um, the late Majesty Queen Elizabeth said at this time. She said, I quote, I have not chosen this office for myself. He has appointed me to it because he leads. I may follow him in complete trust. I mean, it's magnificent. Um, I mean, she was a human being and is no doubt would have been flawed. But I think that I can say that Jesus was her king. So what about you? What other kings or queens would you think of? As a former soldier myself who's been to visit the field of Agincourt, I can't help but think of Henry V, 1415, beat the French with the introduction of the longbow. Uh, Shakespeare often speaks in Henry V of that incredible rousing speech he gives the night before when his troops are terrified and he encourages them they go and have victory as part of the Hundred Years' War. But Henry V was flawed. He was a man of great cruelty actually and plundered and conducted terrible things uh, throughout that war and was quite exploitative of some of his people. He was a human being. So what about biblical kings? What other biblical kings that we can look at? Well, how did kings occur in the first place? If you look to 1 Samuel, you'll learn that, well, clearly many will know, but you'll know that at the period of the prophets and the judges, Samuel was rejected by the people of Israel. And they said, look at all these other nations. We want to have a king like them. We don't want to accept the prophets and judges of God. We want to have our own earthly king. So they got Saul. Saul was flawed. He used to have rages. But of course, we know that through that line, we ended up with David. And through that line, we got Jesus Christ, born a man. So what biblical characters are there? Often these biblical kings, they wrestled with the prophets and the judges. And there, of course, was a mix of good and bad in there. Think of King Herod. I've already talked about him looking out for Jesus Christ because he was terrified and wanted to conduct infanticide. He was, was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. So not much was said great about Herod. What about Nebuchadnezzar? He was pretty bad too. He was very much full of his self-worth, his vanity, almost self-worship. But life circumstances humbled him. And in his desperation, he saw God and came to faith. He had a darkness to light moment. What about Queen Esther? She married a heathen, non-Jewish king, Ahasuerus. But through him, she managed to save her Jewish people from a terrible plot to annihilate them. An incredible story. But for me, you've got to look to this. Uh, now, Cameras weren't around in these days, so you have to accept the cartoon of King David, the man after God's heart, a brave and obedient young man, but also a flawed man. I can describe his love life as perhaps somewhat complicated. <laughs> but he was a repenter. He had his own darkness to light moment. He loved God. He was a poet. He was a songwriter, he was a dancer. 
In Psalm 46, David wrote, God is our refuge, our strength, ever present in trouble. But he also knew of the fallibility of kings and kingdoms, of his own fallibility. And in verse 6, he said that kingdoms fall. So this is my second point today, which is that earthly kings and queens, they can be a mix of good and bad. They're temporal, they're not here forever. They all fall short of the glory of God. But that's not the end of it. They can have a darkness to light experience. They can know God. And I think we should all be able to associate with that because ultimately it's the story of humanity, is it not? So let us now reflect on Christ the King, on this day, Christ the King Sunday. In Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6, a branch of David is foretold, who will be a king who will reign wisely, who will be the Lord, our righteousness. In 1 Timothy, it talks of King Eternal, King of Kings, and it's not just in Jeremiah. You can look to Isaiah 11, it's foretold. You can dig out the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, verse 1, and you can see from a branch of David, this King of Kings, this Messiah. Talking of Messiah, I'm going to give a second little dig for the uh, attendance of the cathedral because Handel's Messiah is on very soon as we go into the Advent season. I love the words the words taken from places like Luke 19 and Matthew 16, that this Messiah, recognised by some, but rejected by others. Now, I believe that the key reading from today, Ephesians 1, yes, it talks of all authority, the ruler of all things, and those all things are good and evil. There's, um, there's the, the, the bit here where it talks about um, about all things being below his feet or his, below his footstool in some translations, which includes evil, because he's overcome all of that. And he's done that through being the Messiah. Jesus Christ is different to other kings. He is Christ the King. He is perfect. He is perf permanent. He's from the beginning to the end the ultimate prophet and judge, but he comes to us as foretold and he still does come to us. So let us unpackage a bit this Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 23. I think there are three key points in here. After a period of thanks, Paul then says that he prays for them. And he then starts calling out three points. One is around the calling. One is around the inheritance. And one is around the power. But he goes beyond that. So what he writes here is that there is hope in this calling. Jesus Christ calls us to be his subjects. 
not necessarily like a subject to an earthly king, but a subject from him, the servant king. Because he calls us, he comes to us where we are in this fallen world. He comes to us in our darkness. I compare this to perhaps one experience. I, I, um, I was talking of the late Majesty Queen Elizabeth and the, the awe and love I had for her. I met her once, actually, and had uh, a still a sense of love and loss for somebody who I barely knew. Yet Jesus, who I know so much more, how much more do I love him? But I did have an experience of meeting her, and this is the way that my, I was called to see her. It's not quite the way that Jesus calls. I received a very formal letter with a, uh, a stamp and a letterhead from Buckingham Palace. And it was signed by Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Matheson of Matheson, the Secretary of the Central Chancery of the Orders. And I quote, Sir, I am commanded to inform you that an investiture will be held at Buckingham Palace on Wednesday, the 25th of June, 2005, at which your attendance is requested. <laughs> now, I know there's at least one more person in this room who's received a letter like that. I'm sure there might be more, but um, quite formal, not necessarily coming to me in my place, um, but a beautiful experience. But what Jesus does is he comes to us in the midst of our suffering and in our darkness. And I think we all have, if we reflect, periods of that. At the moment in, in our family, we're having some difficult times. My father is very poorly, and it's so sad to see him suffering. Uh, my wife, Jackie, her mother, had a very serious stroke a few months ago. Um, and her life has been completely transformed by that. And we try and see and understand and make sense of it. But I don't know how we make sense of it. We just have to take hope in what God calls us to do. Because we know that there is a mix of suffering and glory together. What about inheritance? Well, what Paul says here is that he prays for a knowledge of inheritance. Now, this is a period where Greek enlightenment thinking is going on. Very scholarly, very thoughtful, very factual. But also there is a period of where you need to, I think, be able to somehow take faith and trust and prayer to know your inheritance. To me, knowledge of my inheritance isn't just a mental thing, but it's, it's a spiritual and emotional thing, which is that I have to trust in God. And it might be hard to do that. But if I know that there is inheritance where I can receive the riches of God, it helps me through the pain and the uncertainty and the bits that I just can't understand because I choose to know of that inheritance through faith and trust. And then the third point that Paul talks of here is the greatness of power. Now, Luke 23 talks of the resurrection, the power through Jesus' death on the cross that atones for our sin. He is enthroned over evil. As I've said, it talks of his footstool here in this Ephesians passage, but also it's, put, it's said of in Psalms 110, Mark 1, 27, that through suffering of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we can have trust and hope and faith in him 
the head of the church, the groom with his bride, or as we prayed in the service just now, the body of Christ, who is who, is, who Jesus calls. So the three points I've tried to emphasize here are firstly that on this end of the year, the end of the church year, there is a cycle. And if we think about that cycle, you can see key events in scripture. Those events are all around the kingship of Christ, but there's this undercurrent of troubles in this broken world. And the second point is that earthly kings and queens, maybe good or bad, but they're just human beings, just like you and me. And we can all have darkness to light experiences. And thirdly, the good news through all of this is Jesus the Messiah is Christ the King. He is the King of Kings who calls us and he comes to us in his calling. He offers us his inheritance, and he does that through the power of God. So I'd therefore like to ask you the question I asked earlier. Is Jesus Christ the king of your life? Do you know him and declare him your Lord? Now, if you've never known him and declared him as your Lord, then I'd love to talk to you about that. If you have, thank God. But do you have areas of your life where he is not your king? Do you have areas of darkness in your life where you're struggling and wrestling? Where you need to somehow submit to being a subject to his kingdom? <coughs> now, what might that mean as we go into the new year? Perhaps we could make some new year resolution. What would that be? It's not for me to say. I've thought about it myself. What's my role in the Great Commission to share in that calling to others? What does it mean to me by being a subject of Jesus Christ? What sacrifices do I not make? How do I love to weaken the poor? How do I treat my finances? How do I get angry with somebody because their car is blocking me from going up a road that I think I should be going up. Whatever it might be, where are there areas of my life where I need to think about submitting those to Christ, the King of that area of my life? So however long it has been since you may have first declared Jesus Christ the King of your life, is Christ the King of your life? I pray that Jesus Christ is your life, is the king of your life. Amen.